Let me invite you now to grab a Bible and follow as I read in a moment the, uh, the text which comes from, Matthew, from Mark 15. We'll get there in a moment. But uh, uh, earlier, Anna had said uh, that there would be this kickball tournament on the April the 7th, and she said it would be friendly competition. I have my doubts. Um, so if you want to get together a, a team of uh, a, a kickball team and get in the competition, I think it would be great fun. Um, it's a church-wide thing. Uh, bring your kids, let them run wild, uh, and we'll find them by the next Tuesday. So uh, uh, on the seventh, if it's a, if the weather is good, it'll be a great night. Um, the other thing before I read my text is this, gang. You know that we're in the midst of a series on the book of Jeremiah, and we are all the way up to chapter twenty, which is what we covered last week, which. The title of the sermon was, when, when God's Servant is Depressed. This is the chapter where Jeremiah says, you deceived me and I have been deceived. Uh, in essence, accusing God of lying to him, of promising but not delivering. And as a result, he says, okay, I've had it. I quit. I'm not going to be a, your prophet anymore. I'm turning in my prophet's card. You can get yourself another boy. I'm not doing this anymore. And then he says, but when, if, but when I say I will speak no more in the name of Yahweh, there is within me this fire in my bones. So he's in a period of, of depression. And so last week I, I mentioned three little um, helps, I hope, uh, to drag our own little souls out of our own periods of depression. And I promised you a fourth. This is the fourth. This is that, the, the fourth little help, which I hope um, as we adjust our thinking about those those periods when uh, we find ourselves in the midst of depression. Now, with that in mind, let me read to you the text. I'm only going to read two verses, verses 34 and, uh, 33 and 34. This is very familiar territory. Um, it reads like this. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, um, in theological circles, if you, uh, maybe you don't hang out there very often, but I, I tend to, many uh, theologians would say that most of our theological debate is, a, is an effort at answering that question. Jesus poses the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so theology is a desire, is, a, is an effort on our part, it's a feeble one, to try and answer that question that he asked. Now, I think most of you know that, 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 that those words, my God, my God, are the opening words of Psalm 22. Jesus is, in essence, quoting an Old Testament verse. Many would say that, he's, that, it's, um, that Psalm 22, verse 1, is really written as a prediction of something that might be said, that would be said later, uh, in Jesus' life, which you find taking place. 
that Jesus is fulfilling that prediction. He's not so much quoting. Uh, here's an interesting text. Let's think about this one. No. This is a, a, his fulfillment of something predicted about him in Psalm 22. But be that as it may, you uh, can certainly see that Jesus in this, this question is giving voice to his immense pain and that sense of divine abandonment. I am forsaken. Why? When he asks this question, why have you forsaken me? You know what he gets? You know what response he got? Silence. Heaven was silent. His father was silent. The question that he asks goes unanswered. You know, I'm afraid that we evangelicals, we, we think that if God is, uh, is at work in our lives, then there's got to be some kind of um, conversation, some kind of chit-chat that is ongoing from heaven with us. When Jeremiah was at his lowest in, in chapter 20, which we looked at last week, he cried out to God too. He cried out to the same God who had spoken to him so frequently in the past. You do know, don't you, that the book of Jeremiah is the second longest book in the Bible? Oh, there had been many conversations, many words from heaven for Jeremiah. But when he comes to a place in Psalm 20, when the world seems to be crushing in on him, he asks God for help. And you know what he got? Silence. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I'm, what I'm suggesting. This is step four. There were three steps last week. This is the fourth one. You need never think that because God does not thunder through all of heaven to rescue you that he is not doing something redemptive in you gang when jesus cries out eloi eloi lima sabachthani the father responded with silence but surely you know that in that silence in that six hours that jesus is on the cross in that period of silence, at least for Jesus, God was accomplishing the redemption of the human race. Even though there was silence, God was fully at work because silence does not equal inactivity. Silence does not mean abandonment. 
though it may feel like that. For us, the lesson, gang, isn't it clear, I hope, that in those periods where I'm looking for something from God but getting nothing, in those periods of silence, God is still up to work. Uh, 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 he's still at work in my life. We may prefer, and I get this, some visible, audible activity, but this God whose ways are not our ways has not abandoned us to our pain or, or to our sorrow. He is at work in the midst of it. You cannot sink so low that you are not seen or where he does not care. You know, guys, I, I love to read this, this statement. It's out of Psalm 119, that real long one you recall. L listen, listen to this statement. This is one verse. David says, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Folks, um, that feeling of aloneness is misleading. And although the pain may be very real, as it was in Jesus' case, David says, it was good for me. He didn't say it was fun for me. He didn't say it was pleasurable for me he didn't say it was easy for me but he did say it was good it was good because in that period of abandonment i learned his statutes and though i perhaps would have referred, uh, preferred him showing up in some visible way the fact that he didn't does not mean that he was not up to something redemptive in you. Okay, Jimmy, when will the silence end? I don't know. Um, but there is some things I do know. I know that God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And you know that too, even though you may have forgotten it in the midst of your sense of abandonment. So even in my darkest hour, I must be reminded that the love that he set on me is an everlasting one. He's not giving it and taking it back and giving it and taking it back even though at this particular moment it may feel like that. But just like you see in the case of Jesus Christ, in the midst of the silence, he's at work. Now guys, remember I closed my sermon last week by uh, uh, taking you to the book of Lamentations. 
chapter 3 and and I showed you verse 21 I think or 22 where Jeremiah in the midst of looking at all of this destruction all around him he said and this I will recall that is he reminds himself of certain things that he knew to be true as he tries to make his way out of his own depression so here here are a few truths to call to mind number one even jesus experienced silence but that did not mean that god had abandoned him although it felt like it that's what jesus says why did you why did you forsake me he felt that but that was not the truth here's something else to recall to mind those whom god loves he never abandons jeremiah 31 3 says yea i have loved thee with an everlasting love he doesn't he didn't love you back when the sun was shining and removed it when it, the clouds arrived. Those whom God loves, He never abandons, even though it might feel like that. Finally, not only does He not in, abandon, in fact, Jeremiah 32 reminds us, he rejoices at doing us good not just that he does us good but that God takes pleasure he gets pleasure out of being good to his people and doing them good and part of that good is teaching us his statutes and in those educational moments, it may feel like we're forsaken. When in fact, he's accomplishing great things in ourselves. That goodness, ladies and gentlemen, his goodness is on display at this table. The, the epitome of his goodness is on display in what he accomplished in Christ Jesus by the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. So my brother and sister in Christ, come join me as we celebrate his goodness to us. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, would you forgive us that we are so, we so hate pain that every time it arrives, we believe that you're mean and that you've abandoned us. Would you remind us, as we see in the life of Jesus Christ on the cross, that though he got no answers in the midst of his suffering, that didn't mean that you had stopped working 
Do your work in us, O God. Teach us your statutes. And though it may not be easy, it may not be pleasurable, it may not be fun, it is certainly good. And Father, if you have led people here today who, know, who have not yet met our Savior, would you show them that what they experience, non-Christians have cancer as much as Christians do, or maybe Christians have cancer as much as non-Christians do, but we have promises made to us about your goodness and your steadfast love that endures forever. Would you show them that the way that we cope is not because we're better people, but because we have a God who has given us better promises. Do that, O oh God. Meet us here for Jesus' sake. Amen.